Welcome to the Fit Vegan Podcast, the show where we help you live your healthiest and leanest life on a whole food plant-based lifestyle. This is where you'll learn how to thrive on plants, disease-proof your body, and unlock your true inner potential. I am your host, Lucky Seawine, and let's get into the show. All right. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're all having an amazing start to your day. We have an incredible podcast today with Danny Taylor. Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I'm really excited to, to chat with you today, get to learn a bit more about your story, how you got to, to where you're at. Actually, just quickly read for the people that don't know you. You're a vegan figure competitor and champion, the co-founder of Vegan Proteins, which we interviewed your husband, Giacomo, um, I think like a few months ago, like a month and a half ago. And you're also the co-founder of PlantBuilt.com, which is a nonprofit organization of strength-based vegan athletes who compete together to raise awareness for veganism and money for rescued animals at farm sanctuaries, which that's amazing. What, what got you started on that? Yeah, I know Jocko covered it a little bit, but I'm kind of just for the new people. Well, the, the plant built thing in particular was back when we first started vegan proteins, we were actually a supplement shop because in 2008, it was actually really hard to even find a plant-based protein powder, which sounds crazy now because you could like find them at CVS, but back then it was hard. But we would go to all the different veg fests all over the country. And basically every city that we went to, we would meet somebody who was just like an out of this world vegan athlete that we had never even heard of before. And we were just like, wouldn't it be so crazy if everybody got together and just competed all at the same at the same event? So that's what we decided to do. We got together a bodybuilding team, a powerlifting team, a CrossFit team, and eventually kettlebell and strongman and Olympic lifting. And we went and competed in droves like against other non-vegans and uh, did surprisingly well doing that. And it got a lot of people to talk about veganism, but we also decided like that can't be the only approach. We feel like the, our, our approach to being advocates needs to be like living by example, education, but also direct outreach to the people who are like actually rescuing some of these farm animals and doing that sort of work as well. So we wanted to make sure that we were giving back to them also, because I mean, they do the hardest work, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's beautiful that you tied those two causes together, right? Being able to give back, back, but also showing to people that you can perform and create all these, have all these amazing athletic performances on a plant-based side. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, a lot of people just, they think it's actually an oxymoron, like a vegan strength athlete. What? That's an oxymoron. So we set out to show that's that's not true. (laughs) Yeah. Beautiful. What? So actually, what got you into veganism? I'm curious, how, how long have you been vegan now? This is my 20th year now. Nice. So a long time. <laughs> so what got me into veganism? Well, I actually went vegetarian when I was really, really young, like eight years old. Um, and that was because I was at a cookout one day with my family and there was a lobster that was there. And it was like in a kiddie pool, kind of hanging out with the kids all day. Like, you know, your kids, you see a lobster in a kiddie pool. It's the coolest thing ever. So yeah, yeah. we were kind of like chilling with this lobster all day. And then, uh, you know, we didn't know it. We were just kids, but eventually they ended up having that lobster for lunch. And it was horrifying to me, yeah, like absolutely horrifying. Yeah, it was very traumatizing. And it was the first time I thought like, like it occurred to me that like chicken nuggets were chickens. For, mm-hmm. Like, it's just not something you think of if you're never really told that before. 
And I remember asking my mom, like, in a really sad way, like, but do we have to? Like, do we have to eat animals? And she said, well, there are some people that don't. And I was like, cool. I'm going to be one of those people, (laughs) but I never considered veganism, like never even heard of it. Didn't know anybody who was vegan. And I was actually doing a research paper in high school about vegetarianism and kind of stumbled across this website that explained the connections between the dairy and egg industry and the meat industry. And that was it for me. I just said, well, I don't support this. Why would I support this? And I just stopped, uh, stopped eating dairy and eggs overnight. But at that point, I was 210 pounds. I was technically obese at that point because I just, that's how everybody in my family was. We did not eat very well. We didn't eat a lot of vegetables. We didn't have a lot of money and, you know, crappy food is cheap. <laughs> so yeah. we ate a lot of that. But when I gave up dairy and eggs specifically, the next time I went to the doctor for a checkup, um, I was only like 16 years old. But when I stepped on the scale, they were like, you're down 30 pounds. And I was like, what? And, uh, that actually is what lit a fire in me. It made my wheels spin like, oh, maybe you, maybe this isn't just genetics. Maybe you have more control over this than you thought you did. And that's what got me to actually learn something about nutrition and exercise and sort of take my health into my own hands. So it started for ethical reasons. And then all of the other reasons sort of followed suit. Yeah. So the, so eggs and dairy was the one that you didn't cut out. That's when you were vegetarian. And then in high school, you cut those last two out. Right. Exactly. Okay. And when you started losing the weight, is that, were you already working out at that time? Or is that, were you like, no. oh, I, that's something I can start doing on top of like being vegan? No, I, I was not exercising at all. I had just pretty much, I had no, like I was, came in dead last in the presidential mile that we had to do in, in eighth grade. Like I was not an athletic kid at all. And I had no interest in being so. So when I went vegan, I didn't know anything about nutrition at all. So I was eating like a pretty terrible vegan diet, like plain bagels and French fries and Coca-Cola, all technically vegan, but not very good for you. And even that crappy vegan diet still propelled my health in a positive direction. And that's what made me realize like, wow, imagine what you could do if you were actually trying to do something good for yourself. And that is when I started exercising was after that. Okay. I'm curious because like vegan 20 years ago, the availability of food that we have now of vegan options was completely different. So I'm curious as to you went to these types of food because is that how you were eating before? And then you kind of found what didn't have any vegan ingredients in it, or you just didn't know yet about like the other area of like grains and fruits and veggies. So, well, kind of both, a little bit of both. So I never, we never ate like fresh vegetables. I, we never really had any fruits besides like maybe apples and oranges and banana, but like, I didn't have a mango until I was like 20 years old. I didn't even see an avocado until I was 19 years old. So I just wasn't even familiar. I mean, let alone quinoa, which I called quinoa for two years because, because there was nobody to correct me because nobody else knew what it was either at that time. So yeah, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, sort of fun vegan foods. So it was really just me cutting out food groups at that point and trying to find new things and recipes and way to cook vegetables and beans that I had never had before. I mean, ultimately it was a really good thing, but at the time it it felt really limiting, but Mm. I was doing it for an ethical reason. So it didn't like, it wasn't hard to stick to. It would just be like, Oh man, all my friends are having you know candy for Halloween. Cause I went vegan right before Halloween. And I remember yeah. this, everybody was eating their Snickers and their Reese's. And it's like, there was no vegan chocolate back yeah. then. So, but I'd still just 
had ethical reasons to do it. So I just stuck by it the whole time. Yeah, that's interesting because a lot of people will transition for the ethical reason, but won't look at the health aspect of what they're eating. So they're basically putting their, their health on the side to just respect the ethical reason. Right. Yeah. And that's exactly what I was doing. That's, that was, that was what I was doing. And it wasn't until I got, went to the doctors and they were like, you're down 30 pounds. What are you doing? And I was like, oh yeah, I guess I did give up this dairy and eggs. So that's, that's what made me realize like, oh, maybe there's, maybe there's, cause at that time, you know, this was 2002, I think when I told people that I was going vegan, everybody thought I was going to die. Yeah. <laughs> so now it's different. If you say, oh, I'm going vegan, a lot of people think like, oh, well, that'll be so cool for your health. But back then, they were not saying that. They were saying like, you're going to be vitamin deficient, terrible things are going to happen to you. So then when I realized my health was actually improving, I was like, yeah. interesting, <laughs> and followed that to where it led. But it was a surprise to me at that point. Yeah. Isn't that interesting how it changed? Now you say you're going yeah. vegan. You're like, you're going to live to like 110. And then back in the day, you're like, you're going to die in two months. You need to eat meat. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's really, it's crazy how much that changed. But hey, I'll take it. <laughs> um, and, and what got you into competitions in figure competing? Yeah, so... When I started exercising, I didn't know how to exercise. I didn't know anything about exercising, but I joined a gym because there was one across the street from my house and I would go in there and I would just do the elliptical because it was like in the corner. Nobody was going to bother me. You know, I didn't need to take a class to learn how to do it. I just figured it out on my own. So I would do that every day. That's all I did. I would get on the elliptical for, you know, 30 to 45 minutes and go home, but I could see the weight room from where I was and I could see these strong fit uh, men and women, but especially the women, I had never really seen that very much in my life. And I was like, wow, those women look so strong and capable and badass. And it's like, I want to learn how to do that. But I did not have the first clue. So I hired a trainer and um, she was pretty wonderful. And she taught me how to lift very well, but <laughs> she could not help me with my diet. She couldn't at all. And I remember her saying to me like, well, this might be where the buck stops for you, kid, if you're not willing to at least have whey protein or egg whites. I don't know how you're yeah. going to make more progress in this. And it was infuriating to 19 year old me because <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, damn it. Like, I'm going to, there has to be a way to do this. And I went home and started, you know, searching around on the internet and I found Robert Cheek's website, veganbodybuilding.com. Yeah. which at the time was just a forum. You know, this was pre-Facebook. There was no community on MySpace. Like that's how long ago yeah. this was. But there was a forum there of like probably like 3,000 people all over the world kind of trying to do similar things. So we just all learned from each other and it was amazing and life-changing. And that is what got me into learning more about like the fine-tuning bits of nutrition and, and then eventually competing just kind of just kind of led us to that to that point yeah i love robert he's awesome he's yeah. a lot for this space yeah mm -hmm. yeah and yeah robert is still like one of my best friends in the world to this day so yeah yeah he's awesome i'm happy i got to meet him down here when he was in la and so you started lifting and so obviously we both know like you can lift weights to be healthy and like improve your body and then there's competing so what made you want to take the step of competing was it to show what was possible on plants or was it just like you wanted to challenge yourself and be like oh can I achieve this so it's actually like a little bit of a backwards story <laughs> so okay. I mentioned like 
I was not an athletic kid. I was a nerd, like a huge nerd, like a science and math nerd. So Mm -hmm. I got really into the nuts and bolts of the nutrition side of things and just learning about it. And Robert uh, and Giacomo, we all met at the same time. Robert and Giacomo were going to compete. This was back in 2008. And uh, we all lived near each other and hung out like every day. And I was watching what they were doing to get ready to compete. And I was like, this is terrible. Like everything they're doing is terrible. (laughs) Like, you know, all the really, really old school bodybuilding stuff that I didn't quite know what it was supposed to be, but I was like, this can't be right. There's no way somebody should, you know, not drink water for three days leading up to a competition. This is crazy train. And that made me be like, I am going to learn a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way to do this. So I did, I dove in and then eventually started helping them with their competition stuff. And then other people started coming to me to be coached to compete. So I started coaching bodybuilding competitors like four or five years before I ever actually decided that I was going to compete, uh, which is usually, usually it's the other way around. But I just really, really loved getting people in competition shape, but I didn't necessarily believe that I could do it. And uh, then one day I was just like, damn it, I'm, I'm going to do this. I can do this. And uh, it's really, really hard. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, no joke about that. It's really hard. It's you know questionable in terms of how healthy it is to do these sorts of things. And I think that's something that people should talk about more. But yeah, I started competing in 2014 and okay. never, never looked back from that point amazing when was your last show 2018 which okay. probably would have been 2020 because i don't do it every year yeah um, it's demanding yeah it's very demanding but you know 2020 was not the year to be competing yeah, no <laughs> yeah no no one was competing everything yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah um, so 2018 i competed all year yeah well uh, that's interesting because yeah you said the path is normally you compete and then you're kind of like well i'm going to coach people doing that and I know you, you also coach people for a living. So I'm very curious to hear your point of view on this because I don't coach people for prep. I coach for just body recomp, like just losing weight in, in general. Preparing someone to be stage ready is a completely different ballgame. How would that differ for someone that's looking to step on stage versus someone that's just trying to lose 20 pounds? So I think, I don't think they're quite as different as people think that they are. The difference between somebody who just wants to say, lower their body fat of a handful of percentage points versus somebody that wants to step on stage, mostly comes down to the person who's going to compete does it for much, much longer. And they just Mm -hmm. have to dig much, much deeper. I mean, there's lots of little things that need to get fine tuned the closer you get. But I mean, fat loss is fat loss is fat loss. It's just you're taking it to such an extreme by the end of it that it's, it's very, very different mentally. And that I think is the biggest thing is a lot of people think, well, I successfully lost 15 pounds. Maybe I should put a competition on my bucket list and try that out. And it's like, whoa, Nelly. Like, <laughs> and that's, that's the big thing is we, one of the biggest things that we do is we have like really intense conversations with people when they think this is something they want to do to make sure it's really something that they want to do because yeah. You can't unring that bell once you've once you've seen yourself shredded. You ah uh, yeah, have... you're done. Yeah. <laughs> so you think it is you your point of re- reference yeah. every time, forever. Like that's yeah. the new yardstick you hold yourself to forever, and that's not necessarily a good thing. <laughs> so yeah, that's the biggest part is is the mental part. I think there's a lot more 
potential red flags of body dysmorphia, disordered eating, things like that. Mm-hmm. So because you're you're dieting for so much longer, you're digging so much deeper. So you always have to be really, really on the lookout for for those things. But you know, as far as like the actual diet itself, it's it's not that different. It's just longer and harder. Yeah. 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 Actually that's something I, I've never talked about this on the podcast. I think you're the perfect person to talk about this with. I've competed as well many, many moons ago. I wasn't vegan at the time. I've been vegan for nine years and it was before that. Like you said, it becomes your point of reference. And even if you don't step on stage and you've you were lean 10 years ago, that is still your point of reference. How do you help people navigate that? Because like the being lean on stage, you can't sustain that all year round. It's not healthy. So how do you navigate that with people? Well, the first thing that I like to talk to people about, so it's true, this it doesn't have, just have to be competing. Like whatever the best shape you've ever been in in your life, that's the thing that you think you need to be all the time. But you can mm-hmm. you can look like you're in phenomenal shape and not actually be very healthy. And mm-hmm. that to me is bodybuilding in a nutshell. Like people yep. look amazing on that day, but they feel like crap on that day. <laughs> um, yeah. I've yeah. never met one person that felt amazing on on stage day. <laughs> Mm-mm, no, it, but everybody's like, wow, that looks awesome. I want to do that. So if somebody has that sort of like yardstick or memory in their mind, the first thing to do is to identify like, was this a realistic goal for you? Like, is that actually sustainable for you? Because sometimes it is. Sometimes people got in pretty good shape and like it could have been sustainable for them if they had just sort of, you know, kept on their controllables and they would have stayed healthy and fit and all that. But sometimes, you know, you you got so lean that, you know, maybe you weren't sleeping very well. Maybe your skin was doing some weird stuff. Maybe your libido tanked. Maybe yeah. you started to have weird, like, thoughts around food. Like, pay attention to those things because it's kind of a grass is always greener situation where mm. when you're when you're really lean, all you're like is, man, I wish I could just, like, eat a little bit more and like, I wish I could be really super strong again. And then once you're super strong, you're like, man, I wish I could see my abs again. So just yeah. the more times you've done it, the more you can recognize like, oh, this is just those weird thoughts that I'm having. And, you know, there's pros and cons to both sides and learning to yeah. sort of appreciate your body in in its various states because your body's going to change forever. Like, doesn't yeah. matter it's always going to change. So trying to accept it where it's at and see the good things about it, I think is something that everybody should be working on all the time, self-included, like, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a process to accept because unless you haven't done it, if you do a lot of transformation, you know what it's like to be shredded and you mm-hmm. you know that it sucks, but you're hungry. And then when you're yeah. fluffy and strong, like, yeah, I'm strong, but I'm fluffy. And then yes. you're trying to find that middle ground. And you just kind of hover between the both of them throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I, uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I mean, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and coaching people for a long time and experiencing it personally. It's still hard. It's still mm. not easy. But, you know, the more you do it, the more you can recognize the good. And you can also recognize the red flags. And trying to find like that really good spot where your body, you know, looks in a way that you're pretty happy with, but also performs in a way that you're pretty happy with. Like that's the sweet spot. That's what you want to try to find and kind of follow that around forever. But it's much easier said than done. (laughs) Definitely. One thing I really like from um, Robert and Matt's book is how they shared with some of the athletes 
we're, we're eating. And mm-hmm. if you look at a lot of those athletes, they're fit, but they're not shredded. Like they right. still have body fat because they need to be able to perform. And that's kind of where people should be or slightly higher body fat, but they don't, if you look at the top performing athletes, like not a lot of them are super shredded all yeah, year round. Because it's not great for you. <laughs> it's just, you know, you, you can't synthesize the proper hormones. You're, you're not synthesizing some of the vitamins that you need when you're that lean. Like, you know, everybody's different and some people can maintain a little bit leaner than other people. Um, yeah. But largely, like, I feel like we're just kind of too focused on aesthetics and mm-hmm. we lose sight of performance and overall health for the sake of aesthetics. But yeah, that's a very good point about Robert and Matt's book, because a lot of the top athletes in the world, they're not super shredded and that should tell us something. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, since, you know, you've been coaching for a long time and this is the new year's, I just love to have a conversation with you and for the people listening of maybe things to look out for, maybe things to look into, you know, heads up warning signs, because one of the things you mentioned in your previous, when you're telling your story is you jumped on an elliptical for 45 minutes a day and you would just do that and you could see the weight room. And so I, I know that, and you didn't say that part, but I'm, I know that when you started lifting weights, results started changing in a much different way. But mm-hmm. I'm sure that is that something that people need to look out for? Because it is such a stereotype to be like, I'm just going to do cardio and cardio to lose weight. So yeah, so I don't have a lot of regrets about my fitness journey. But my number one regret was that I didn't start lifting right out of the gate. I should have started lifting right at the beginning. And I actually think that today, my body would be different if I had done it from the beginning. And this is, you know, 15, 18, something like that years later. So that's saying something. Because yeah. I went from 210 pounds to 130 pounds, almost entirely through cardio, yeah. I got to 130 and I remember be looking in the mirror and just being like, huh, I didn't think this was going to look like that. I thought it would look yeah. different. But if I had been strength training all the way down, I could have saved myself so many sort of building and cutting phases, which are not great to yeah. do a ton of times. So yeah, I think especially women, especially women tend to feel like they just need to do cardio and like cardio is the the path to their results that they want. And I speak from experience that it is not probably the path to the results that you want. Cardio is great. It's very good for your overall health. But if there's certain physique changes you're looking for, cardio is not going to get it. So yeah, learn to strength train as early as possible would be one piece of advice I would have. Yeah. Cause you probably like from 210 to 130, probably a lot of lean muscle mass that was gone through that process. Probably. I mean, I can't say for certain because I wasn't trying to measure any of that, but I just remember thinking like, oh, I just have to get this fat off. If I get the fat off, I'll see. And people still hear this. Like people say, oh, well, I'm just going to get the fat off first and then see what I'm working with. And it's like, you are going to be very disappointed because you're going to have what everybody has less muscle than they think that they have. Yeah, so. they always get at the end. You're like, oh shit, I didn't think it was gonna look. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, everything yeah. look. They look like Dana Lynn Bailey under. They're just like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, yeah. Everybody, everybody thinks that, and uh, even like seasoned bodybuilders, myself, Giacomo, Robert, will go through a building phase and we'll be like, hmm, this is the time. I really built a lot of muscle in this place or that place, and then you get super lean, and you're like, eh. I guess yeah. it's a little bit, but that's how it goes when you're a natural athlete, you know, that's, that's the reality of it. And that's okay. You still keep working at it, but yeah, build muscle. Yeah. I wish people focused more on building muscle and less on losing fat. Mm-hmm. 
And it makes such a world of a difference from like an amount of food that they can eat per day to like sustain their physique. And yeah. Um, yeah. So for, for people that are listening and they're wanting to kind of kickstart their transformation for the new years, what would you say are some baselines in terms of exercise and nutrition that would be, that would benefit them? So first let's see baselines. I like to think of like things that you feel like you should be able to do on your worst day. Like what can you do on your worst day? So I feel like people should be absolutely making sure they're sleeping enough for one. Like every time I say this, people are like, really, that's the advice you're going to give. Yes, it is. Sleeping enough, (laughs) drinking enough water, moving your body, like walk, just move, do something. If you can do it outside, even better. If you can't do those things just to start, you're going to have a really hard time when you set up your six day a week workout routine and your perfect macros. Like it, it almost doesn't matter if you can't do the big pieces that you need to keep your life in order. So, so again, I would say that is getting enough sleep, drinking enough water, getting enough steps or just regular general movement in through the day, preferably outside, like some fresh air eating vegetables and eating protein. So if you can do all of those things first, you're already going to be starting like miles ahead of other people. Once you can do those things on a regular basis, then you can start to incorporate like your perfect workout routine and the exact nutrition that you want to hit. But a lot of people, they really put the cart before the horse and they start saying, okay, these are the exact macros I need to hit. These are the supplements that I'm going to take. This is, I got to make sure I hit my anabolic window post-workout. And it's like, bro, how much sleep did you get last night? Like (laughs) three hours? Like, okay, we're doing some some stuff out of order here right now. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's what I would say. Focus on the big pieces that get you the majority of the results first get that in order, get those habits rolling, those systems running, and then move to the next piece. Yeah. Is that interesting that there's such an emphasis on the smaller things that don't matter, but the bigger parts are like, wow, I'll take care of that later. Let me just take the supplements. Let me just focus on anabolic window and then I'll worry about working out. (laughs) Yeah. And I I think it's because we've heard these things like since we could talk like, oh, eat your vegetables, get some fresh air. Like, so it's not fun. Like it's not exciting to people the way like, Oh, I'm going to buy this new supplement and it's going to change everything. So I feel like people need something to be excited about. And I get that. But if you want results that are going to last, because anybody can follow a, a workout and a nutrition plan and get results and then lose them immediately. But if you want to mm-hmm. get results that actually last for a long time, you got to get those big pieces in order. Yeah. I think it was, uh, there's a book winning Tim Grover, you know, who Tim Grover is. <laughs> I don't actually. <laughs> uh, so he was uh, one of the Kobe's coaches. So he wrote mm. a few book and one of them, he said, success is boring. And the person that succeed is the one that can injure the most amount of boredom. Right. It's a very oh non-sexy God. way of saying it, but it's the truth. If you can, that is awesome. That's such a great quote. Wow. I'm going to look it up now. I'm going to, I wish I had a pen here. Tim Grover winning. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is true that like the answers are there. The answers have always been there. We know what to do, you know, like we know what to do. We just have a really hard time implementing it because it is boring sometimes. And, you know, I see people's really exciting what I eat in a day videos and I'm like, wow, mine is so boring compared to that. 
<laughs> but hey, I, I filmed those for YouTube. Those are extra. Like you eat stuff out of the ordinary for those videos. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've done a couple of what I eat in a day videos, and I'm like, man, that was a lot of work to make that video. Like to make it fun and exciting for people. Like I should film on what I really eat in a day. Yeah, video. it's like oatmeal protein powder and peanut butter and berries. Like go breakfast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, yeah, not, not that exciting, but you know, that's, that's what people, that's what oh, most people who are like getting results and keeping them for a long time, they're doing more stuff like that, right. That actually fits into their life on a regular basis. Yeah. Because those day of eating videos and those recipe, as much as they're exciting, like realistically, you're busy, you're in a relationship, you got work, you can't cook like that all the time. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Need simple meals. Mm -hmm. And just one thing about the sleep aspect, I agree so much. It's the most underutilized tool that's free. Um, mm -hmm. And I was writing, I was writing something this morning and I was maybe helpful to the viewers. And if you like it, you can use it if you want to. But imagine sleep was mandatory and the government charged you a thousand dollars for eight hours of sleep. No matter what, if you took it or not, they're charging you a thousand dollars. You would make sure that you would maximize that eight hours as much as you can because you're paying for it. But the mm -hmm. fact that it's free, people are like, well, I'm just going to scroll on TikTok. I'm just going to scroll on Instagram and yeah. I'll stay on Netflix. And so if you had to pay for your sleep and it was mandatory and the government would just take it out of your bank account every night, mm -hmm. you would make sure that you would get those eight hours of sleep. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really good point. I agree. And uh, it's it's it, it, I think there's something about our culture right now. And I think Chakamo told me you're you're not from L.A. You're from I'm from Quebec. Canada. In Canada. Yes. All yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't I don't know if it's the same in Quebec, but, you know, there's this whole like especially in L.A. It's definitely in L.A. This like work, hustle, I'll sleep when I'm busy culture. Like, yeah, yeah. Mentality. And it's like you know, as a younger entrepreneur, I totally fell into that and then realized like, oh, that is not the way. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you, you get, burn out in a couple of years. <laughs> you burn out, you get sick. It's yeah, mm -hmm. it's terrible. And it's, it's the same thing. I guess entrepreneurs do that. And I kind of did that at the beginning too. It's kind of like when people start their transformation, I'm going to train seven days a week for two hours and I'm going to be a hundred percent, no processed food. And you just burn mm -hmm. out after two weeks because your body can't take it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like that. It's exactly like that. So, you know, I never wanted to sound like I'm on my high horse telling people like, oh, this is how you should live because all these things apply to so many aspects of our lives. And it's like, I still can make these mistakes in other areas for sure. But, you know, we just have to learn the hard way. I think that's just human nature. We just got to learn everything the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting that you can meet people and like, I'm like that too. And I'm victim of that where we can have such a high level of discipline in one area. And then we just want to transition it to vegan, to like fitness and nutrition. And we can't, but it's mm -hmm. literally the same concept and the same level of discipline, but we just can't apply it there. Have you ever noticed yeah. that with yourself mm -hmm. and some of your members? Oh yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I've noticed it with myself in other areas, like, come on, you can do this, then you can do that. And I've seen it with my, my own clients where it's like, they are just rock stars at what they do, but they struggle with the nutrition and the fitness aspect and like really putting it into their life, which is you know, why they come to a coach like yourself or myself, because that's what they need help with. So, you know, everybody's got their spots that they can improve on. Yeah. So going back to the New Year's topic, I tend to bring the conversation up there, right? <laughs> so do I. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we, we talked about eating vegetables, drinking your water, getting your sleep in, mm -hmm. and then looking at implementing a plan. So let's just say that people have those basics down. 
which I'm confident 99% of people don't because we still struggle with that. What would be the next step as to like minimums amount of like times to, to lift per week cardio? Because people still do like four times of cardio and like one strength training a week, like the ratio is all off. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think a lot of it, it depends on a couple of factors. One, it depends on what you're already doing. Like if it was the end of 2021 and you were already lifting three days a week and doing cardio a couple days a week, then you could maybe in 2022 bump it up to four or five days a week in 2022 and and make that work. But if you have not been lifting and not been exercising at all, one of the worst things you can do is be like, now I'm going to start lifting weights six days a week or even five days a week. Like if you've been doing nothing, start with three days a week and, you know, don't, don't kill yourself. The first time you're at the gym, don't make yourself so sore that you wake up the next day and you're like, I'm never going back. I hate this. (laughs) So minimum effective dose is what we're looking for here. We want to find just enough to get you the results that you want without being so much that it's hard for you to maintain or so much that it's harder on your body than it's worth. And Mm -hmm. it's like anything else, the more you do it, the more you can handle. So if I were to start lifting six days a week, that wouldn't be that big of a change for me now. But if I went from zero days to six days a week, I probably wouldn't be able to walk on week two. So, you know, I would say if you're doing nothing, start with three days a week. If you were doing three days, maybe move it to four. If you're doing four, maybe you could do five. I don't really think anybody needs to be lifting six or seven days a week, but some people like to. (laughs) And then for cardio, you know, if your goal is weight loss or fat loss, cardio can be a very helpful tool there, but it should be, you know, it's hard for me to put a number on it, but maybe it should be 30%, maybe 30% of your total training. You know, not, it's not 80% cardio, 20% lifting. It should be like, you know, 70% lifting, 30% cardio. Yeah. And if your goal is muscle building, you don't, you only need to do enough cardio for heart health. Like anything more than that, you're probably just making your life harder trying to build muscle. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I see, I see so many people not do an ounce of cardio. They'll like grab the, the elevator instead of the stairs. And I'm like, you can have big biceps, but if your heart fails you, like you won't live a long time. You'll die with big biceps. You need a good heart. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very, very true. Uh, but that's other, like you just said it. Cardio doesn't have to be running on the treadmill. It can mm-hmm. be going for a walk every night with your dogs or in the morning with your kids or taking the stairs or parking at the back of the parking lot or, or dancing or playing tennis with your boys or whatever, like whatever it is just to move your body in a way that you enjoy. Cause I've mm-hmm. met so many people that like hate running, but they yeah. feel like they have to run. And I'm like, yeah. you don't have to run. What do you like to do? And they'll be like, Oh, well, I really like, uh, to play beat saber on my PlayStation four. And I'm like, cool, we're going to play. That's part of your homework. Play beat saber on your PlayStation four. Like it doesn't have to be something you hate. In fact, it shouldn't be something that you hate. <laughs> Life's too short. <laughs> to do cardio you hate yeah i had i had one member it was jumping on a trampoline so she would watch netflix and like hop on her trampoline for her cardio yeah you can do do anything (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so find a way to move your body that's fun because if you don't at least enjoy i mean you're not always gonna love every workout that you do but if you don't at least kind of enjoy it you're not gonna stick to it why would you (laughs) yeah i well one thing i'll talk about is, is is mindset when it comes to transformation right Obviously, getting a plan 
from from a coach or someone just Google's a workout plan and a meal plan. Like mm-hmm. I not say I don't like saying it, but like if you follow a plan, it'll work the majority mm-hmm. of the time, right? And so I always see training nutrition as a symptom of mindset, right? If you have the plan, it's clearly that and you know exactly what to do, then the obstacle is what's happening in between your two years that's preventing you from sticking with it. Right. What, what are some of the the main like roadblocks, like from a mindset aspect that you see in people that's preventing them from sticking with what they need to be doing. And that's, that's the ultimate challenge as a coach is like, how do we get through these roadblocks? That is the ultimate challenge. The challenge is not the workouts. The challenge is not writing meal plans or macros or anything like that's easy. That's small potatoes compared to actually getting somebody to be able to do it. So there's a few things. First of all, I think once you've identified what your goal is, which is key, you have to know where you want to go or you're not going to get there, right? Can you imagine if you just got in your car and just drove around hoping you like ended up in a particular place that you're not totally sure of? Like not, that's what a lot of people do with their goals. They're just like, oh, I want to lose weight. Well, that's not like a clear enough goal. If it's like, I want to lose 20 pounds by my kid's wedding in the fall. Okay. We can, we can work with that. That makes more sense. So we can sort of map the goal out backwards. So you sort of begin with the end in mind and map it out from there. So that's step one, because I think everybody just wants to go hundred miles an hour on day one. Like we just talked about, they burn out and they can't do it. Uh, and they think there's something wrong with them. Not that there was something wrong with the way they were approaching the, the, mm-hmm. the whole plan. So So set realistic goals for one and understand what that looks like. You know, some people have really big goals. They want to lose 150 pounds or something like that. That's not going to happen in six months, you know? So it's okay to have really big goals. I don't think people need to just have small goals in order to be realistic. They can be really, really big, but you should still break them down into realistic chunks and then celebrate those wins. So Mm -hmm. if you wanted to lose 150 pounds and let's say that takes you, let's say two years, we'll say two years, that's 75 pounds a year. That's what is that? Eight ish pounds a month. So that's two pounds a week. So that's what you're looking at. You're trying to lose two pounds a week on average and looking at it that way. The other thing that I would recommend that I think is really important with mindset is actually your environment and looking Mm -hmm. around your environment is how is that set up? Um, So that can literally mean your physical environment. You know, if you have, you know, the goal I just mentioned, losing 150 pounds, like if your family has a whole cabinet full of cookies, that's right at your eye level, that's going to be so much harder for you than if either your family didn't have cookies or if they were not like put in a place that was completely out of sight from you. It can also be the actual people that are around you. Um, And this one's really, really hard. And I think that's why this one is so it's challenging to talk about with people because what are you going to say? Like, Hey, your family and friends are not supportive. Get new friends. No, but, but like, you know, look around and, and, and consider the people in your life and like, are they really supportive of your goals? Are they supportive of you? Are they ragging on you because you stopped drinking beers with them while you're watching football or something like that's not great. So yeah, if, if people are, are giving you a hard time about your goals then it's probably a good time to start looking for other people who can also be supportive. You know, finding your community, whether that's an online community 
or a coach or a new friend that you met at the gym, just somebody that can help lift you up towards your goals. I think that's so much more important than we realize. And unfortunately, it seems like a lot of times the people that are closest to us are like afraid of us changing. So they make it harder for us to change. Yeah. I, I love that you said that it's definitely you're you're by you changing you're changing their world and how they've been perceiving you and what they're used to and therefore by you changing you're changing things for them and people don't like change if they're not ready for it and so they feel threatened by that they do they absolutely feel threatened by that and it's hard because it's you can't be mad at people for that you know you can't be mad at people who are afraid like oh my friendship is about to change like I don't want it to change I like it the way it is but you know, you have to put yourself first. You have to be willing to put yourself first. And that's really a hard habit to get into if you've not done it before. But until you do that, you're going to keep finding reasons to not go after the thing that you really want. So it's an important thing to practice. Yeah, that's the hard part of growth is accepting that not everyone will come up with you at the next level and that you can't bring everyone with you. Mm-hmm. Although you you might you might be surprised. I'll yeah, some people will like. To, yeah, at the beginning when I first went vegan, as an example, I I told my my parents and they were like, "You're gonna die." In fact, my my dad cried, and my mom was very worried. And within a few years. My mother was completely vegan. My sister is completely vegan. Her partner is completely vegan. Their kids are completely vegan. You know, not in a million years did I think any one of these people would even go vegetarian. Um, And Mm. now they're all vegan simply by just continuing to like do what was important to me and like live by my own standards and try to live by example. And that got other people eventually to come around that I didn't expect to. So, you know, people might razzia in the beginning, but if you, if you keep doing you and, you know, being a good role model, you might be surprised how many people do come around. Yeah. The last part, dads are the hardest one. That's those are the hardest one to convert. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely are. <laughs> My dad, he's, he's no longer with us, but, uh, he did not uh, go vegan at any point, which, you know, probably is why he didn't get much healthier from where we were, but everybody yeah. else did. So I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one of the big aspects I see on top of like having that right community and that environment around you that makes it easier for you to do what you need to do is past failures. People tend to bring those in and never go 100% into what they're doing because they've tried losing weight in the past and it didn't work out. Or maybe it did and they put the weight back on after and they're like, shit, I'm, I'm back at step one now. What is, how do you not help navigate that with people when they're like, I've tried and that, that, that belief is still there? So when I'm working with somebody, you know, I will tell them like, okay, well, this is different because you've never worked with me before. So this is going to be different. There's, there's always going to be something that you're doing. That's probably going to be different than before. And hear me out. If it's, if it's not, it needs to be because anytime you, you know, fail uh, or screw up or fall off your program or whatever, this is not a time to be like, Oh, you're such an idiot. I can't believe you did this again. Like it's not a good time to be beating yourself up or feeling guilty about it. Like that is useless what you should be doing with this is saying like, that did not go the way that I wanted it to go. What happened? Like, where, where did this go off 
what could I do differently in the future? That's the ultimate question right there is like, what can I do differently in this situation in the future? So that's a huge part of what I work with, with my clients. It's not like, and I'm sure you experienced this. It's not like you give somebody a program and they nail it from day one, like every very week small them, percentage. Yeah. <laughs> very small. And I worry about those people a little bit because yeah. I'm like, Ooh, what will they do when they're on their own? And they don't have like me that they feel like they need to confess their <laughs> sins to. Or uh, the I first pref- mess up or the yes. first one. And like, if it's the first in six months, that's the one mm-hmm. you got to pay more attention to. Yes. I actually, I don't want to say I prefer it when people, uh, you know, make mistakes or have issues right from the get go. But when that happens, we immediately have stuff that we can work on. Like, yeah. okay, this happened. This You went out to dinner with your family and you thought you had a plan, but for whatever reason, you know, you reached for the tortilla chips and you just couldn't stop eating them. Like, okay, what can we do differently in the future? Okay, well, we could, you know, ask for them to not bring tortilla chips to the table. We could literally physically put them on the other side of the table. We can make sure that we've had you know, protein and vegetables before we went so we're not as hungry when we get there. Like, you could chew gum until your meal comes. Like there's so many different things that you could do for the next time this happens because there will always be a next time that a challenging situation comes up. So I look at it like practicing. You're practicing mm-hmm. these skills just like a basketball player would practice free throws. Like these are going to happen. So rather than looking at these as these huge hurdles that are holding you back, it's like, oh, here's an opportunity to practice this new hard skill. And you not get it perfect row, you know? Yeah. So, so it's, it's just one free throw out of many, every opportunity. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's how I like to look at past failures too. And you can go back really far in the recesses of your brain to this big time that you felt like you're fa- you failed and actually ask yourself like, what happened where this went wrong? What was the point where this went wrong? And what can we do going forward? So, you know, it's, a, it's something you can always ask yourself about any situation. Yeah. Powerful. I love it. I'm really happy we got to chat. I'm really yeah, happy. Yeah, me too. To um, I I would love to to meet you and Yakumo one day. If you guys ever come to LA, that would be amazing. Oh, we used Robert. to all the time come yeah. to LA. <laughs> it's been yeah. so long. We'll organize a little vegan event out here. And yeah, so Danny, I want to say a massive thank you for taking the time to jump on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time to provide your value and knowledge and all your years of experience. I know there's a lot of value uh, information in there for the people listening. And I want to see, like, is there any last piece of information that you want to share to to people listening? And also for everyone listening, all her links will be down below. If you want to hire on as a coach, all the information will be down there for plant built as well, veganprotein.com. Um, and you can go support these guys on, on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and podcasts. You guys are everywhere. Just like me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard being everywhere, man. Um, yeah. yeah. But thank you so much for having me. Giacomo told me I was going to really enjoy this podcast because he really enjoyed it. And I did. So thanks for having me. I don't think I have anything else. If, if other people listening, our podcast listeners, our podcast muscles by Brussels radio, it's a pretty nerdy podcast about the nutrition and, and science of fitness and for vegans. So if you're interested in that, that's out there. Beautiful. So yeah, everyone, I will link everything down below so you guys can go and support them, listen to their podcast. And uh, yeah, Danny, thank you very much for, for jumping on. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media and leave a rating and review. 
To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at LuckySteveWine and on YouTube at FitVegan. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.